Good morning. Wow, thank you. Uh, thank you, Pastor Mark, Lady Gail. I affectionately call you mother and father for what you have helped me get through over these past few years. So thank you for this opportunity. Uh, to the servant leaders that are here, all that set up, tear down, and continue to serve in such a way, thank you for all that you do. And to each and every single person here, the members, my family and friends, thank you for joining in today. Uh, oh, I forgot to say hi to the online family. <laughs> Hello, everyone that is out there. Thank you for joining in. All of your prayers I have warmly received. My name is Catherine, and I'm going to open up with a quick word of prayer. So if you would bow with me. Oh, Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Father, we thank you, and we come before you with the alms of our heart, just presenting it forth to you, that you infuse our hearts with your spirit, that we want to know you a little bit more dearly and clearly. Thank you, Lord, for not just this day, but thank you for the opportunity to recognize your precious son who fills the horizon of the past, present, and future to reveal to us who we are that we too can live a life that is more and full than what was yesterday. So, Father, we thank you. Move in this place, Father God. Revive us with your Holy Spirit. I ask, dear Father, that you remove me, decrease me. Let me say no more or no less than what you will have me say to reveal through your word, your power, your glory, and ultimately your kindness and love. Jesus, we say yes to you this morning, our wonderful Savior. Amen. Uh, I have a proclamation schedule today that I present before you, the opportunity to explicate the beginning of the 12th chapter, verse 1, so we're going to open up the slides here, that in order to develop and reveal its true meaning, I will be presenting a short recap on the previous chapters with a brief synopsis of the overall meaning of Paul's letter, and then with one single word, therefore, the pivot occurs to link the preceding context to the application and theological explanations that Paul has been developing in the past 11 chapters. And I present before you three points, and I will make sure that we delve into them individually. Point number one is the altar of your heart is a perfect place to offer yourself to God, which is the true and proper worship. Point number two, this sacrifice of your heart and all of its pieces with humility and repentance, God lovingly accepts it to transform not just your forms of thinking, your words, your actions, thus your trajectory and destiny. Point number three, the restoration of a contrite heart is not only to it's not only proven to yourself, but to those around you that God's will is good, God's will is pleasing, and God's will is perfect. And then I will summarize with the conclusion. Therefore, the title of my message today is Our Hands, His Hands. So a recap on Romans. What Paul writes in the book is extremely relevant today that while today's culture may appear to be different from the first century Romans, it is still germane. The book of Romans is affectionately called the doctrine of salvation in Christ because it is truly dense theology. 
The first aspect concerns on how we are to be in right standing before God. Paul tells us that justification or being declared righteous is by faith alone, apart from any action on our own part. That's Romans 3.28. That our faith is to be in Jesus, Romans 3.26. And when one places their faith in Christ, the righteousness of God is imputed to their account. Romans 3, 21 and 22, that right standing or justification is a gracious gift of God given to us through faith. It's not something that we earn or even deserve. The second aspect of salvation Paul discusses frequently is called sanctification. And it is the ongoing walk with the Holy Spirit. And he emphasizes this importance in chapter 8 as he provides practical instruction on how to walk with the spirit. Then enters the pivot. You can advance to the slide. There, there it is. Oh, one back, one back. Thank you. Beginning in chapter 12, verse 1, Paul turns the sermon into something vitally important. Instruction. The wrath of God, the grace of God, the plan of God, and now we see the will of God that this is the fourth transition of therefore. You see previously in the chapters prior, Romans 3.19, the therefore of condemnation. We all sin. The second transition, Romans 5.1, the therefore of justification. It is because of Christ Jesus, God treats us as though we did not even sin. Even though we did, we have we are justified by faith. Transition number three, Romans eight and nine, the therefore of exoneration. We are not condemned to nothing and no one. And now we see the fourth transition or pivot, Romans 12, one, the consecration. The pivot is the one word that turns the letter of righteousness of God needed to God imputed, accomplished and vindicated into now righteousness practiced. It's the exact moment he turns all things he said in the letter beforehand into practical application. After the pivot, Paul then urges, exhorting the church, that in view of all that has been shared regarding God's mercies and compassions, we are to act. So here's my spoiler alert. It is not just these two verses. It is the remaining chapters within the book of Romans that you will, we will start to reveal the instructions for Christian living. Uh, so please stay tuned after today. I will again read the verses before you, reading in verse 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Paul references a living sacrifice that is the altar of your heart. So the altar, the altar is something that becomes consecrated. It is a place where we make offerings to God. And in Old Testament times, it was a raised area in the house of worship where people can honor God with their offerings. And typically, these places were made of earth or stone, erected in conspicuous places for all to see. 
more commonly known as God's table. It was a sacred place for sacrifices and gifts to be offered up to God. And in the Old Testament, there are many stories of altars being built to honor God. The first altar was built by Noah. After the flood, Genesis 8.20, it reads, And Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. I will make a quick reference here at this time that in the Old Testament, altars usually included an animal sacrifice. Throughout his sojourn, Abraham, he built four altars to represent the stages of his experience and growth in the faith. And one of the altars that he was instructed to build was for his miracle son, Isaac. But God instructed him to offer his son as a burnt offering, Genesis 22, verse 9. Others that built altars were Jacob, Moses, Saul, Gideon, but the altar was very specific. In Solomon's temple, the altar was made of cedar, wood, overlaid in gold with ornate jewels all throughout. The existence of the altar visibly drove home the point to every worshiper in Israel for over 1,500 years that you could not come into God's presence without a sacrifice. Hebrews 9.22. But of course, that is the same today. Now we have the altar of Jesus Christ. He is our sacrifice. The entire sacrificial system of the Old Testament was replaced by Christ, who was our tabernacle, our altar, and our sacrifice. Uh, so I do also think it is important to make a quick note here and stop and think of the mercies that God has shown in our own lives, to review the moments, the decisions, the consequences to bring you to where you are today, of how God has taken all of that and woven it into perfection to be exactly where you are right now. I remember in August of 2017, when I was searching for a church home, I had recently moved to Sacramento from Las Vegas, and I had moved around year after year uh, to di many different cities across the United States. And I was living a life that I thought was carefree, however others may see it as careless and reckless. And I was relying on drugs and alcohol to buy me happiness. I was unsure, insecure, with no real future. But somehow God got a hold of my heart and he saved me. He gave me purpose and that was a great mercy. He led me to reside in this great Bible teaching church led by a great mentor, teacher, and pastor who fed the word of God and was a role in pastoral ministry. That's a great mercy. I remember the feelings of loneliness of missing my family and crying to God but his mercies were still new again, and he was able to allow me to expand my family. So in my quest to know God, I learned to worship him because of who he is. That an offering of my heart, my mind, my will back to God was all I could do for the good he had done for me. Another word I learned along my journey is surrender. That surrender of my will is where my anything becomes nothing and where my trying harder fails 
Because as you start to obey in worship, there's freedom there. That the more you know God, you find freedom to discover your purpose, to make a difference, that your life truly becomes worship. That God is doing this. He's the one orchestrating events, people, circumstances, all to direct our focus back onto himself. I'm not talking about things or status or power, but to be energized by faith. Not a sense of managing life or just keeping things going, but a remnant of people who are fed and excited by worship, motivated by scripture, and holding on to faith. That is the reason for growing. We are a, a, peculiar, a peculiar people that we are moved by how God has been faithful, that we go through the tests and the trials of life to know without a doubt that God is faithful. And therefore worship is an outward looking, it's, it, therefore worship is not an outward looking focus, it's inward. And we become not just concerned with one thing over the other, but with the whole of life. That when you know God, you know that he is holy, kind and pleasing, that in return we become equanimable, representing unity among the world's Christians. We become deeply rooted in community, passionate about justice and peace issues, making connections between faith and daily life to respond to the needs with loving service. So the question I present before you today in this modern day society that we live in, how can our church not be a building? but a people. How can church ministries serve the promises of God to hopefully help others go forward in their lives? How can church not be a place of withdrawal and seclusion, but rather open where we encounter safety? So let us consider today, how can we be a part of God's promises? Uh, point number two, if you could advance the slide. Beginning in verse two is the clear instruction to transform, not to conform, to live out and openly communicate with reverence to God's mercy that you begin to look like and to fashion yourself after his grace. And the beginning starts with studying the word of God. This renews your mind, it starts to shape your identity, and then it starts to form your lifestyle. Because the role in research, the role of knowledge and research within the Bible is very different than what is traditional and secular knowledge. The knowledge in his word brings you into close proximity of what God is doing. He teaches peace, he teaches purity, he teaches patience, and that knowledge leads to belief and it brings you to the right and responsibility to not just to act and teach but to form values and direct your action. That the knowledge of God leads to belief which leads to greater faith and then ultimately commitment. I encourage you brothers and sisters to look at the prophets of old or rather look at the prophets and teachers within your own lives. Look at the examples of a life well lived and how they have offered their gifts and talents to the world. Another clear instruction is to meditate on his word and practice it. Give his word first place to instantly obey. Now this is twofold. That as you 
read it and study it, meditate on it. You are challenging the old while presenting the new. If you could advance that slide. Uh, this is the J.B. Phillips translation, which reads, uh, my, I'm just going to highlight verse 2. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within. So as I was studying for this message preparing, God revealed to me that this is a ministry of unfolding, that God unfolds before you in such a loving kind, yet sometimes subtle way to guide you through each season, each situation, or outcomes and circumstances that may be beyond your control, that God's voice is a gentle whisper. He has a special way of revealing himself as we walk with him. That in Kings, 1 Kings 19, the prophet Elijah, he was fleeing to the wilderness out of depression and fear. And in verse 11, it begins that there was a great and powerful wind that tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. That after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. God ministered to Elijah, allowing him to vent and provided for him, but still gave him work to do, which relates to my third point. Beloved, it is not just for you to read, to study, to meditate, to recite it, to write it, to meditate, uh, to, to meditate on it, but you are to endure. You are to endure it, to endure God's word. You are to face the cost of change and growth in order to endure, rather than resisting the need for change or being unwilling to taste risks or being frightened of failure. Recognize the need for God's new mercies, which are new every morning. And let me add and remind you, beloved, that God's mercies are endless. They're limitless. Just like it lo his love, it knows no bounds, no limits, no conditions. Therefore, endure. Our vocation, mission, and vision, it all depends on making sacrifices. And there's a song that affectionately says, Lord, I need you. Yes, I need you, Jesus. I'm desperate for you. And the closer he comes, the louder I get because I am desperate for you. So that in this way, we continue to conform not to the world, but to God within us. That as God reveals his purpose for our lives over time, we walk with him, growing in awareness that in all the ways we encounter his presence, good or bad, we start to look like him. And then we start to look around us within our community. And we seek to find out what God wants out of this current season. So today, or any time throughout the week, just ask him, Lord, what will you have me do? Because it isn't what we want that sets the agenda. It's, it's God's plan. Point number three, God is, God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect. God's will is good. Uh, one of my favorite stories in Matthew, uh, chapter 15, of the Canaanite woman, where this woman 
comes as Jesus is, is going through the streets. This woman comes and she kneels before him, crying, help me. And the Lord replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And the, and the woman replies, yes, it is, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus said to her, woman, you have, you have great faith. Your request is granted. That instantaneously her daughter was healed. Jesus heals four generations in one miracle. By the faith of one woman, Jesus heals her daughter, her daughter's daughter, her mother, and herself, because it was according to God's will to heal her. But by faith of a praying mother, by faith, by faith of, of a woman, she petitioned before God to heal her child. So I just want to remind you that no matter the circumstance, God's will is good. God's will is pleasing. That in the ministry of unfolding, as God was reminding me, love remembers. God remembers. It's not just a journey in life. It's a journey through a relationship with Christ. That it's the state of your heart that is being manifested by loving God and loving others. That it's a lifelong process of changing your heart. That, and we have to take that step by step every day. Which thirdly leads to my, my point that God's will is perfect. God spares us for a specific reason. He not only allows life to happen, he keeps us. He holds us in his righteous right hand. He allows the trials of life to teach us. He sends us through the fire, through the mountains, through the trial, through every tribulation to not test us but to show us his faithfulness it's a process of renewing our minds daily on grace on his word to endure through all of it that the view of your past offers the proven testimony that God's mercy love and tender kindness is ever present beloved this is a world for which we will suffer Burdens are guaranteed. I don't want to deny that. But I do want to bring to you today that God's promise is true. He will offer us the strength to bear them. His word says that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Therefore, in conclusion, as I was writing and typing and reading and editing over the pages of notes that I had accumulated all throughout the book of Romans, and we're talking weeks and months of, of preparation, that it all added up together for the realization that this wasn't just a recollection of my notes and prayers answered. It was a communication with God in such a very special and intimate way that we were talking back and forth, where he was nudging me to pray over certain situations, where he was pushing me to persevere, where he was requiring me to read and to write and to recite scripture on a daily discipline basis. Those reflections allowed me the opportunity to operate in this world. The preparation was there. My obedience to continually present the altar of my heart before God over days, weeks, months. The good Lord, he was walking with me, talking with me, just giving me confirmation 
preparing me for the opportunities and the challenges. You can advance to the last slide. Beloved, it is meant to be a personal walk with God. Sometimes we need the burdens to grow. You need to go through it. But the question then is, are you going to live there? My proclamation today is that all you need to do is bring your heart to Jesus. That is the living sacrifice. He performs the transformation through justification by faith. He sanctifies your heart, which changes your heart and mind. The constant communication allows God the Father to instruct you and guide you. That obedience prepares you for exactly what, when, and where, and how you're going to deal with life's issues that you may able to be prove that in every joy, in every struggle, God is with you. That whatever it is, whether in fullness or lack or success or duress, that in every mountaintop, in every valley, God is in control, which is God's holy, pleasing, and perfect will. He has you exactly where you need to be, to be fully dependent and trusting in him, that you will not just trot upon through life. You will go through the toils, and God proves himself sovereign over and over. So I leave you with my final question is, how will you live? How will you serve God that at the end of the day, it is not just my hands, it is not just your hands, it is our hands are his hands. Let us pray. Dear God, the word has gone forth. Let it not just be translated, multiplied, magnified, so that, Lord, we can continue to serve you and honor you. Let the prayers that have gone forth today, Father, be our cry, be our help, be our plea, Father, for you to hear. As we call you, our heart grows faint, it grows weary, but your spirit will infuse us to lead us back to you, the rock, which is higher than I, which is our refuge, our place, our hiding force, that you, Father God, are the strong tower that we will be protected in, Father. As we take shelter under your wing, Father God, we offer just the pieces of ourself, Lord. The offering of not just our hearts, our minds, and our will this day, so that we can continue to see you lived out in all the days of our lives. Lord, be with us, not just this day, but forever, I pray, amen.